Good morning. It's always a privilege and an honor to share Christ's work in my life with uh, fellow believers, and I'm pleased to be able to do that today. When Jason asked me to share today, he said uh, I should talk, uh, reflect on communion, but I did that last year, and I shared the information I believe in that, so I thought what I would do is share about my journey with God and some of the lessons I've learned along the way. With my apologies to men's men's group that have been exactly one year ago today, October 1st last year, I spoke to them and shared some of what I'm going to share today. If, in fact, if I were to title my comments, I would call them My Christian Journey. So how many of you read or heard of Robert Fulgham's book, Everything I Needed to Learn, I Learned in Kindergarten? Great book. It talks a lot about things he learned in kindergarten, playing fair, share everything, don't hit others, etc. But my dilemma was that I, when I turned five in 1948, there was no kindergarten. So I had to learn things the hard way. And I'm still learning things the hard way. A saying I heard many years ago that made a lot of sense to me is, learn from the mistakes of others. Life's too short to make all the mistakes yourself. Actually, my father told me that, and uh, I don't know where he got that from, but it was wise advice. So I'm sharing some of the lessons I've learned with you this morning. If they make sense, I'm happy to share them with you. First, a little background. I grew up in Nelson. Our family moved there when I was three. My father was with the CPR when they had a passenger train that ran through here every day called the Dominion. And uh, so we moved here at three. I attended Central School when it was three stories high. A lot of people don't remember that, but there was a third floor on the Central School. It uh, had the stage and an auditorium and a bit of a gymnasium. We left and went to what's now Trafalgar, Nelson Junior High at the time, to halfway through grade nine when they removed the Dominion train and my father had to move. We moved to Vancouver. I studied violin under Gladys Webb Foster, piano and voice under Amy Ferguson. My parents were both Christians and active in the Presbyterian Church. My dad was an elder, clerk of session. My mother was a Sunday school superintendent, backup organist and member of the choir. So I had a good strong background in Christian belief. I'm married to Barb. We celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary last Sunday second marriage for me, and I'll talk a bit about that in a moment. As we got married on my birthday, it was a double celebration as I celebrated my 39th birthday for the 35th time. (laughs) I have four children, Tim, 53, Paul, 49, Mark, 37, and Laura, 32. Four grandchildren, Jonathan, Eric, Haley, and Damon. When I was 13, I gave my life to Christ at a rally in the church, which I believe was a Baptist church at the time, across from the the park, the Little League Baseball Park. It used to be painted all blue. It's just recently changed to, I think, a a brown or mauve color. That was 61 years ago, and it's been a very special walk with him, not without bumps and bruises, and I believe many times I was carried by him. For those of you who read the story, Footsteps, you'll know what I'm saying. The evangelist that welcomed me to the fold asked me to do something very meaningful, 
and to repeat John 3.16, replacing the world, the words of the world and whosoever with my name. For God so loved Dave Douglas that he gave his only begotten son that if Dave Douglas believed in him, he would not perish but have everlasting life. So my first lesson came as I gave my life to him. God is a God of love, forgiveness, and grace, not hellfire and damnation, which he seemed to be to me at the time when I was 13. Any parent will agree what an incredible sacrifice that was to give his only son so that we could have abundant life. What a powerful and beautiful promise, something we will celebrate as we share communion in a few moments. Lesson number two is the power of forgiveness. Several years ago, filled with hatred over a major betrayal resulting in a divorce, I had an amazing experience. I was praying to, to God to speak to me, to help me deal with the frustration and anger I felt. I was listening for the still small voice. I was laying on a couch with no lights on in the room in a house that had a TV set, a couch. The TV set had one channel, and I I mention that because it's a factor. You may believe it or not, but it happened to me because I was there, and on occasion it's happened again. A voice very clear said, turn on the TV. Really? Turn on the TV. Third time, and finally I said, well, I guess I better do it. I turned on the TV. And there was an old movie showing a Second World War movie with a husband and wife in a Japanese prisoner war camp. The wife was sick with pneumonia, was dying, and the husband went to the commandant of the camp to see if he could get some medication for her. The commandant said, I don't have enough for my own people, I can't help you. So in anger and frustration, he went back to his wife and was complaining. And here's the words she said to him. Don't hate them not because of what your hate will do to them, but what it will do to you. It was a wake-up call. I needed that. It was like that old ad, the men in aftershave. I needed that. I really needed that. In the prayer Jesus taught his disciples, he says, forgive our trespasses as we forgive our trespassers. Jesus must have felt it was important to forgive because his only comments that I can find on the Lord's Prayer Found our found in Matthew 6, 14, and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will the Father forgive your trespasses. No ifs, ands, or buts. We forgive, God forgives us. Third lesson. God has a very special plan for each of us. It may not be clear at the time, Something happens, but rest assured, he knows what he's doing. You can take comfort in that. I graduated from high school in 1961, registered at St. Andrew's College at UBC to become a Presbyterian minister. And I failed math. I was an A-plus student all the way through school in my math. I can't explain that even to this day, except maybe I had a bad day, or they gave my marks to somebody else, and I got somebody else's marks except to say that he had a different plan for me. A different plan for me. It was not easy to accept at the time. However, I've learned to accept that the change, those changes because God knows what he's doing. Amen? Amen. Well, a variety of jobs and activities followed since then. I continue to remain close to the church. I've taught Sunday school, worked with young people, been chair of the board of managers, an elder, led many churches through visioning processes, 
had the opportunity to share through the pulpit in United Lutheran, Presbyterian, Baptist, Pentecostal, and Covenant churches. I'm not bragging. I only mention this because I really believe that Jesus wants each of us in our own way and with the guidance of the Holy Spirit to share the good news with others. That evening, I mentioned earlier when I was praying, I just returned home after seeing my boys in Vancouver where they lived with their mother, my two older boys. On the way home, filled with frustration, anger, despair, you name it, I decided life was not worth living, that I would end it on the way home. I had a spot picked out just east of Hope. There's some sheer cliffs, drop-offs. When I, My plan was just to drive over the bank. When I tried, I couldn't turn the wheel. I had both hands on the wheel to try and turn it. I couldn't turn the wheel. Call it a psychological impulse or whatever. Something prevented me from turning, and I believe it was the hand of God. He still had plans for me. Fourth lesson I learned was God answers prayers. Let me share with you a couple of other experiences that has clearly illustrated to me that God answers prayers. After dealing with my anger and frustration, I mentioned earlier, I prayed, prayed for direction, asking God what he wanted me to do with my life. I submitted to him and said I would do whatever he wanted me to do. Live on my own, wear sandals and walk in the desert, or heaven forbid, fly airplanes, because I'm terrified of flying. I need to take some lessons from Walter. Within two weeks, one of my prayers was answered. I met my wife, Barb. She was stranded on the side of a road on my way back from my grandfather's funeral in Medicine Hat on the Blueberry Pulse, and this lady that let a lot of vehicles go by waved me down. I stopped to see if I could get her car going. I couldn't, and I, we just met, hit it off, and 40 years later, we're still married, and she's the love of my life. Another great example of prayers answered is adoption of our son, Mark. Because I already had two children from my previous marriage, we were advised that we would never get a so-called normal child. We didn't listen to the social worker and prayed for a normal child, and he answered our prayers. In those days, young people that were giving up, or anybody was giving up a child for adoption, had to get three names of families that were willing to adopt and select one. The 15-year-old girl who just turned 15 when she gave birth to Mark, rejected the first two batches of three and picked our, our place. So, again, the hand of God working, in my opinion. What a blessing that's been. There's much in, this, in Scripture, in the Bible, that says he will answer our prayers. In Matthew 7, 7, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. In John 14, 14, it says, If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Lesson 5. It's hard to capture 61 years walking with Christ in 10 or 15 minutes. And as you can probably appreciate, there have been excellent times, many bad times, and even some really difficult times. However, there's two things I've learned from those times and truly believe. God never gives us more than we can handle. In Matthew 11:29:30, it says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And in Romans 8.31 it says, If God is for us, who can be against us? Lesson 6. God has called us to be encouragers. 
The word encourage means to give courage to, to give hope to, in my mind implies support and assistance to others. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11 it says, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up. It goes on in verse 14 to say, Encourage the faint-hearted. In Hebrews 10.24-25 it says, And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together is in the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Surely you can remember the influence of a special person in your life who, by encouraging you with a special word or note, has influenced you and perhaps changed your life. Someone who said, you can do it. You're special. I believe in you. I like to tell a story to young people when I'm working with them about my grade 9 teacher, Bob Taylor, at Nelson Junior High. They decided to do something special in the spring. They wanted to have a volleyball tournament to get away the winter blues, and they were going to have ten teams, unbeknownst to me, because I was an athlete and would have been one of the house captains, but because they knew my father and I would be moving away because of the uh, train leaving, I wasn't one of the team captains. So they had eight team captains and a teacher's team, and then... They had another team that I didn't know about till the next day. And Mr. Taylor called me and he says, you're coaching and selecting the, the 10th team. And I said, well, wait a minute, all the best players are gone. He said, but I've watched you, Douglas, you're a leader. You'll find a team and you'll win the tournament. So I picked people that nobody really liked. They were tall. That was important. And we did. We beat the teachers in the final of the tournament. And ever since then, I've been active in everything I've done, either a captain of teams or, uh, or leaders. There's real power and encouragement, and it doesn't need to be found. But with everything that's going on in the world today, our young people need to be encouraged. When I said it doesn't have to be profound, I remember when I was giving the eulogy for my father, who passed away, my oldest grandson, who was four, after he heard me speak, he wrote out on one of the little things in the church pew where you can put extra collection in. He, he scribbled something on there and passed it to me. And I said, what is that, Jonathan? He says, I'm sad for you because you don't have a father anymore. Just a little encouragement. When's the last time you thank Jason for the ministry he provides us or Tracy for the support she gives him and the work she does with kids? How about the worship team or the leadership team? about Rick and Judy for the work they do in the garden. Rick was in here setting up when I came this morning. Bill for coordinating the men's breakfast in the mornings. And we could go on and on. I challenge you to be encouragers. Don't let a day pass without encouraging somebody. And lesson seven, Jesus is alive. He loves and cares for us. He's a remarkable savior, worthy of honor and praise. To follow him is not only desirable, it is possible, and it's the greatest joy. I wouldn't miss out on it for anything. And the last lesson I want to share with you today is the importance of being part of a fellowship of believers. And what an incredible introduction to what's going on in this church today as part of the mission statement. It's amazing. It's almost impossible to be an effective Christian on your own in today's busy world. We need to support each other, counsel each other, and encourage each other. When I moved to the lake nine years ago, I was frustrated by traveling to town to, to worship, and I tried to worship on my own, but found that lacking. Then I found this church through Dave's story, and you've 
bless me greatly, even though we're only here part of the year. Listen to this article from a newspaper that relates to church fellowship. A church grower wrote a letter to the editor of a newspaper and complained that it made no sense for him to go to church every Sunday. I've gone for 30 years now, he wrote, and in that time I've heard something like 3,000 sermons. For the life of me, I can't remember a single one of them. So I think I'm wasting my time, and the pastors are wasting their time by giving sermons at all. This started a real controversy in the letters to the editor column, much to the delight of the editor. It went on for weeks until someone wrote this clincher. I've been married for 30 years now. In that time, my wife has cooked, and I got some 32,000 meals. But for the life of me, I can't recall the entire menu for the single one of those meals. But I do know this. They all nourished me and gave me the strength I needed to do my work. If my wife had not given me these meals, I would have been physically dead today. Likewise, if I had not gone to church for nourishment, I would be spiritually dead today. Well, I could go on with lessons I've learned and I'm still learning, but probably gone on long, too long already. So I'll conclude with three sayings that I've gathered over the years that have been helpful to me. <coughs> Excuse me. When you're down to nothing, God is up to something. Faith sees the invisible, believes the incredible, and receives the impossible. And here's my favorite. When Satan is knocking at your door, simply say, Jesus, could you get that for me, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have a perfect plan for each of us and this church. Help us to pray with confidence and assurance that you are listening. Open our hearts and ears to hear what you would have us be and do. Help us encourage one another as we serve you faithfully, knowing that you never give us more than we can handle. And thank you that you're a God of love, forgiveness, and grace. Remind us as we celebrate communion this morning of the supreme sacrifice your son Jesus made for forgiveness of sins so we can have a much more abundant life. Amen.